Hello everyone, my name is Rita Almeida and this is my podcast. Before I move to the conversation with my second guest, I wanted to thank everyone that subscribed my podcast, that gave, that continued on giving feedback, and that um, yeah, that uh, add some time to to listen to what uh, what I have to say or what my uh, previous guest had to say. I know it was um, quite a, a struggle for some of my international listeners because the past episode was in Portuguese, but we're back to English, and I'm very very excited with um, today's guest. Um, before we move to the interview, I wanted to leave you with uh, an idea that really uh, was an important one for me this week, which is um, imperf imperfect action is better than no action. So if you're sitting, whatever you see, whatever you're, you're doing, just think that all you need is an idea and all you need is to start even if the idea is not mature at 100% right so just go for it just make it happen because you can adapt it uh, along the way this uh, podcast is a bit uh, is a bit about that uh, i had an idea i'm still working on a jingle i'm still defining uh, how i want to start how i want to end how to record it etc but it's a learning curve right So we need to start uh, because, as I said, imperfect action is better than no action at all. And now let's move to meet my guest. He went to law school until he realized it was not for him. He did a bold change of careers and he decided to study advertising. And it was actually advertising that uh, got us together. We met at the Cannes International Advertising Festival in 2015. Now he lives in Berlin, uh, where he works as a copy at Inocean Berlin. He's a guy of strong opinions, enorm enormous culture, and amazing hearts. I have the pleasure to have with me in my podcast, Antonio. Hello, how are you doing? <laughs> Hi, Gita. Oh, my God. Such a beautiful liar you are. <laughs> <laughs> No, actually, guys, just to to kind of set set the set the mood. Antonio is a bit nervous about this podcast, so he was telling me, "Oh my God, I really need to to make it look nice." Da, da, da. But uh, all good, all good. Uh, I told him about what is the the goal of the podcast. So we really just want to have a kind of a, a sincere conversation about uh, his uh, career choices, let's say, and why he took the decisions he took. Uh, so I'm very, very happy to have you here uh, because I think that you're really you're you're really between boxes. So that's that's exactly <laughs> the type of the type of people that I would like to have here. Um, so to start with, it would be interesting for me to understand um, if you always knew or if you at least had an idea of what you wanted to do with your life when you were young and when people start asking us about what we want to do when when we're older. Okay, so first of all, thank you so much for having me on your podcast and what I've heard. Okay, answering your question. It's very interesting because I've come to realize that I actually early, but I've ended up following my childhood dream. Well, I'll explain, but not exactly, but now I was ever good at was writing. And when I was like, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old, or even younger. I would write these novels, okay. and books, and I'm making air quotes, of course, 
uh, with my mother and she would share with the family, which at the time was super embarrassing. <laughs> but yeah, then I, I realized this is the only thing I was ever good at. And of course, no. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to be a writer and I'm not a writer. I'm a copywriter, which of course has writing in the name, but it's quite different. Because, I mean, all writing is about thinking, but I think that copywriting is thinking with a very specific purpose. Yeah. But that's for your question, no. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. I ended up doing humanities because that's our our um, schools are structured. Like you have all these four fields, at least at the time. It was structured like this, and then you end up choosing one. And I opted for humanities and, um, well, it made sense at the time because, as I said, like writing was the only thing I was actually good at. But then it took me to law school and maybe we will talk a bit further down the road about it, but I ended up realizing that that wasn't really it. Okay. Yeah, I actually did humanities as well. And um, you you touched on this briefly, but I think that the way the Portuguese education is structured is very like, if you choose humanities, you only study things within that that field and it kind of narrows you a bit when you're very young. Yeah. And yeah, that that is... Um, What, start, what starts all this path of getting you into a box and then you cannot decide for something else. So yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying. So um, at least you knew uh, what you uh, like to do. That's, that's, that was already uh, like a start, let's say. And um, why did you choose after humanity? So I, uh, you're from Coimbra, right? So did you do your mm -hmm. high school in Coimbra? And uh, why yes, did, did you decide to go for law, sc law school afterwards? Okay, so at the time, like again, I, I didn't really know what I should pursue in college, university. But um, so law, uh, at least how this law degree structured, it uh, was the... Um, let's say they called it this broadband bachelor degree because it offers so many like options after you graduate. Um, and yeah, that's what, that's what I ended up choosing because I mean, you could go into like, I don't know, the, to be diplomacy, you could be a journalist, you could do so many things like with a law degree. And I thought, okay, since I'm not 100% sure that I want to become a lawyer, that's what I did. I went to law school. And yeah, this was the main reason. I, I discussed this with my mother and my stepfather, and he's a professor of economics, and he also said, yeah, don't be afraid, like, you will see that you will have many options then, and so I would go for it. And at the time, doing advertising was not an option, because, I mean, when you grow up in Coimbra and you're also from, like, a small town, like, this kind of, it was impossible, you know, like, there, like I didn't even know how advertising was made, and There was not this option in Coimbra, so yeah, I didn't have the option. And also, like, I come from a quite traditional family, although they are most of my family, it's pretty liberal. Liberal, but for our parents, and I think for for the generation of our parents, it's very important to have this traditional education and something more formal. So, the law, you study something that for them is a career, and it's what they see as a career. And for my mother. Like, um, and she was calling the shots back then, like, um, <laughs> advertising was not a real career. You know, it was like, okay, you can do something after you graduate, you can do that. And that was the agreement. And that's what I ended up doing. I, I, it took me way longer than it should to graduate from law school, but then I could finally do whatever I wanted. But first 
you need to secure your traditional diploma. Oh, so you really concluded law school. I didn't know that. So you you made it. So you're yes, in, in practical terms, you have a, a bachelor. I don't know if you can call it a bachelor. It's a bachelor, yeah. but it, it's four or five years of, uh, of law school. Yeah. So you concluded it. Okay. Yes, I did. Like it was painful, but I did it. <laughs> that is crazy. How, how long is the how long is the the bachelor? Four or five years. Okay, so now with Bologna, Prost, um, and some I think at some universities it's two years, but in Coimbra, even if after it changed, it's four years still. Yeah. So I did four years. Okay, so four of years. That's that's really interesting because. It was four years of your life in which you were studying something that you knew in, that in principle you, you wouldn't work at. <laughs> That's true. And also, like, I, I used to say that I did it in my spare time, and it's, like, actually true because I, I don't know if you know the, the um, I don't know, like, the environment that Coimbra offers, but you have so many cultural options to choose from. <laughs> cultural options. In, and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, let's let's call it that. Now, of course, there's a lot of drinking involved, and there's a lot of partying. For sure, it's it's a university town, so let's not lie and pretend it's all serious. <laughs> it's not, but in the end, like it's really one of those schools of life. You know, like you go in there and like you really pursue other artistic options, and that's also when I started realizing, wait, this is cool. This is like I'm not sure what I want to do after I graduate, but I know that law is too formal for me and that there yeah. are other options because you start doing, doing, like dealing with musicians. You, like I, I was in three different bands, let's call it that. And so you suddenly have a part-time job. Like um, I was like, not, it's calling it a maestro. It's way like, sounds way fancier than it was because I'm, I'm not a maestro. I have no music, musical education, but I, I know some basics. So I have some taste for music. So, you end up running the band and running the show. <laughs> uh, and it's like, it's, it was crazy. We were having more than 120 concerts per year. So you can okay. imagine, like, it's almost like a part-time career, you know? And yeah, and I, I started realizing that there, there's, there are a lot more options um, that I could pursue and that I didn't need to stick to law. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I think that... It's it's very valuable when um, when you when you're studying in a in a town or in a in university in which you have other options and you can explore either clubs or um, or uh, this type of uh, music uh, clubs, book clubs, cinema clubs, etc. Because I think that we we come from this very classical mindset that all you do in uni um, must be uh, like related with study, what with your area of study. And I think that it really brings additional value to you as a professional, whatever you want to do um, to like explore uh, these type of clubs and this extracurricular, as we would call it, uh, activities. Yeah. So I, I think that's, that's, that's very interesting. So when you uh, were like, in, in parallel with law, so you had all of these um, these activities, and would you say that those activities would give you the creativity and kind of the freedom to explore explore yourself and explore your mind? Because 
ultimately you knew that or maybe you had a, an idea that you wanted to work in advertising and, and that's very related with uh, creativity and uh, solving solving a briefing is, is, is a lot about yeah. solving a problem but uh, bringing creativity uh, to, to it somehow. Um, do, you, do you feel that was important to have that in parallel or was that something else that influenced you or uh, what would you say? You're 100% right. Actually, I don't know if I didn't get into these activities, I'm not 100% sure that I would end up um, pursuing advertising at all. I would probably be a miserable lawyer, you know, working like 12 hours in something I hated. Because, yes, because like th there was so much involved. I mean, now it sounds almost, I don't know, like ridiculous, but it, it, it was really like almost a part-time job. Like we were throwing these massive events, like they were not that small, even for Portugal. So it was real money. On, there was real money on the table. And you like you needed to bring, first, we were organizing a festival. We really needed an audience. We needed people to come, like mm -hmm. to pay for it. So that was kind of my first advertising briefing, you know, how to get people to come to our festival. So it all involved like building our reputation, not like around town and all of that, but also like we were writing a lot of materials. We, uh, we were doing like some really basic design stuff uh, to bring more people. And I actually like it worked and I realized, oh my God, this actually works. You know, like when you do cool, I mean, of course, now I look at it and everything sounds or looks very amateurish, but it yeah. worked. It was solving that briefing, you know, because we were like doing it for People could realize that we were having fun doing these things, these promotional materials. They would go like micro viral in our own community. And it's like, oh, have you seen that? Like we have almost, I don't know, 10,000 views now. And it was crazy because like none of us were professional uh, ad people or whatever. But yeah, that's when I realized that like that advertising really works if it's done. Like if you really know your audience and if you know who you're talking to, like advertising works. I also like, I, I didn't, I never, I, I don't tell this to people because it's quite, it's almost embarrassing now, but I was also running like this uni meme page and it was kind of the first meme, like academic meme page in Portugal. I can swear there were not that many or any I knew of. And they, that this was like my first viral project. Love it. So, so you were it. you were in yes. the, the starts of the the uh, meme uni, uh, university meme pages. I remember that in Portugal, in Portugal, yes, in Portugal, yes, and and it was crazy. So it's like uh, one day you wake up, you have like uh, one hundred followers. The next day you have two thousand, and after like I don't know two months, you have fifty thousand followers from all over the country. You know, and everyone is commenting. So I created like these characters from Coimbra which were like the traditional, like it was, I, it was me observing my friends and people I, I knew yeah. and like turning them into characters, you know? So you have the guy that uh, always blames the system, but of course he never attends classes and he just spends time at the bar drinking. You have, I don't know, you have this girl that is completely clueless or whatever, but uh, I don't know, it's, it, 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 people found it funny. I, 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 I actually never thought it was that funny, but it worked again, you know? <laughs> That's always like, yeah, this is crazy. Like, if you do it right, you can reach people and you can really have a positive outcome. And yeah, I, I, I definitely think that that experience, those experiences are what made me be sure that I wanted to go into advertising or something a bit more creative. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's very interesting. I think that uh, you having the capacity of 
uh, have having to study something that you didn't really enjoy and still making the time for other stuff it's 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 quite nice especially because it led you to your next uh, to your next step um would you say that there's anything in uh, law school in your law um uh, yeah in your law studies that you uh, find useful uh, nowadays or th was there a part of it that you liked it that you liked or or there was nothing uh, that you could like about it no for sure there there, there were and, and i mean I, i of course like it gives you a lot of skills for critical thinking you also learn about a lot more about political science like our our, our society structured And I mean, not everything about that degree is, uh, let's say, painful or uninteresting. No, it, it really is. Like, I, I used to love criminal law. I used to love constitutional law. Like, but again, then you have, for instance, like tax law. And it's, oh my God, it's, it's, it's so, so, so boring and technical. But again, like, it's, it's normal. But no, I definitely grabbed some skills learn. Uh, but I have to say, for instance, like one thing I learned pretty fast is that how not to write. <laughs> <laughs> Because when you come from a law background, like people have to realize that um, nobody really cares about what you write, you know? And like when you, I, I guess when you are a professor, like you believe that your students are really involved and that they should read. But I mean, it will, it would be pages and pages and pages, like not saying much or saying the same stuff or stuff that you could say in a more interesting way, you know? Yeah. And when you come from a law background and, and you end up doing copywriting, like, you suck at first because you write and write and write and you don't realize that you write too much. Yeah. Much more than it's needed. And I have to say that it was important, like, to, to you know, learn more about this academic writing, but I really had to get rid of it in order to, you know, be um, at least a bit successful in my profession. So that's one thing I, 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 I learned. But when it comes to, you know, logic and critical thinking and, you know, like uh, rational debating and all of that, I think law gives you, of course, like a good solid uh, baggage. And I, I, I'm thankful for it and I don't regret it at all. And I, and I honestly, like, I, I really don't want this to sound as I'm, you know, like downplaying the importance of lawyers, of law degrees. It was just not for me. That's what I, well, that's what I mean. So please, lawyers, don't get mad at me or whatever. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think they will. I think that um, this post podcast is exactly about that, what is right for ourselves. Uh, and, and there's not such thing as uh, one size fits all, right? It, with what can be right for you, it's not right for me or uh, etc. So it's it's really important that, or my point with this podcast is, is, is to make people realize that we all have that moment in which we, are, we realize if it's If, if it's the right thing for us or not. So don't, don't worry too much about it. Um, so after, when did you realize uh, that it was not for you, um, that, that law was not for you? Um, from the beginning or you really started realizing more and more as, as you went through the, through the bachelor? I would say the second option. So it all started, I mean, I had a rough start because I was always like this above average student. I was not brilliant, but I had good grades. And my first grade, and I studied a lot for that, my, my, for that exam, it was my first exam, was constitutional law. I ended up liking it a lot, but it was later. Um, I had a six. It was my grade, six out of 20. And I was like, oh my God, 
I'm, I'm, I'm screwed. I would never graduate. I would be, you know, like, I, I suck. I, I'm a loser. All of that. But no, that was not when I realized. I, I realized it's a bit further down the road because you see, because of course you talk to your colleagues, you see what they want to do. Like, you see that some of them are really passionate about it. And I was like, I don't have this passion. I, I don't think that being a lawyer is something that I really crave or that I want for me or even being a judge or, I don't know, some of them also became teachers. Um, and, I, and I saw how passionate they were discussing these topics and discussing like our curricula. And I was like, I'm not this passionate about this. So yeah, I started realize this is not for me. More than like, uh, this is right for me and having an idea of what I wanted to do, I started realizing that law was not for me. Uh, and then uh, it was, I think, in my second year in, in university, um, my sister, she's an advertising producer in Portugal. And, well, she, she was starting back then. Um, and uh, they had a shoot in Coimbra, my hometown. Mm. It was like this funny ad for Guloso, you know, the brand, right? This, yes. Uh, sauce, this tomato sauce brand. And it was like, I, I still remember, like, let's say the briefing. It was for this new sauce, which combined garlic and onions, the tomato and garlic. Uh, no, tomato and onions. And it was the whole concept of the film. It was actually like, at the time, people still had budgets to shoot great stuff. So they shut down an entire square in Coimbra. It was like this fight, this huge fight between two teams, one representing tomatoes, one representing onions. <laughs> it was fun. It, was, it is what it is. It was like shot like 12 years ago or so. And, well, um, she got me um, a gig there as a, an assistant producer, okay. which is called name for do everything, like clean this, bring me that, you know. And I didn't mind. I was having the blast, you know. And that's when I realized, wait, th- th- this is how advertising gets made. It's actually like there, there are a lot of people working with this. And I started doing more and more research. I talked to her, of course. I said, but who comes up with these ideas? And she said, she, she told me, no, you have like advertising agencies, you have art directors, you have copywriters, you have all of these, I can introduce you to some of them. And yeah, I, I did some research myself and I realized, hey, this is actually a profession. And there's a, a profession called copywriter. So these are the people who write ads. And I like to write and I like creativity. So yeah, this is what I want to do. And this was really like the moment I decided, yeah, this is what I want to do. And I ended up doing it. That's really interesting that... Um... That that exposure to like the reality of um, of uh, a work of or to shooting an an, uh, an ad really uh, made you consider that because I would say that it's it's it doesn't happen to most of us that we that we get that opportunity of uh, seeing what like being in a in a, a shoot of an ad is uh, in in real life as 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 in for most of the of the professions actually so i think that's really a barrier that we have um that we have when people want to to start their career and join the job market whatever they want to do is that we don't really know how how what does a lawyer do what does a copywriter do what does a i don't know a manager in in a company does right so it's it's yeah it's definitely an opportunity that that That's i would that that i want to explore here like more for people to be aware of what is it that we do in real life you know um okay so after that uh, so you concluded uh, what how old were you when you concluded uh, law I was 25. So that, that tells you enough. All you need to know about how long it took me to graduate from law school. 
my my point is not even that one. My point is that um, it's it's interesting because after that you went to to to, to do a course in that, uh, yeah exactly in advertising. So I think that the yeah. long story short, my point here is that you were 25 when probably you had everyone telling you, oh, you're already too late to start or to get into the job market or et cetera, because people have this standardized idea that we are, we need to be working at, I don't know, 20, 22 or 23 or whatever. Uh, me, myself, I think I started with 23. So um, I was super young. So it's, it's interesting. So you decided at uh, 25 when you uh, finished uh, law that, okay, I want to do advertising and let's go for it. No, sorry to interrupt you, but now that I think about it, I was 23, not 25. Okay. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. okay. So I entered university when I was 18, yeah, five years and then, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 23. And so you decided, so you, why did you decide to go for uh Miami at school so was it uh, is it can we call it a bat is it a bachelor indeed is it the normal bachelor no, no, that no. you would have or uh, how does it work no 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 Miami at school is a portfolio school so it, it's it's not traditional education uh, so we go in there to literally like build a portfolio and then get hired uh, at an agency and I think that yeah, okay this is uh, an interesting topic so um I was basically, I was seeing my friends graduating and getting their first jobs and moving on with their lives. And I was stuck. And I felt like, of course, I didn't, that didn't feel great. And I said, okay, I really need to graduate. And I graduated. Uh, and I really need to, to, you know, if this is what I want to become, I really need to do it right. So I started doing some research, talking to people. Uh, I went after people on LinkedIn, like very nice people, uh, actually. Um, and they wrote me back. So I was like, hey, look, um, I graduated from law school. I want to do advertising, but I really don't know where to start. And so they, they basically explained to me what I needed to do. You need a portfolio. You need to get internships at agencies, and eventually you'll get hired. So I started doing some research, and yeah, I came, like, I, I discovered my med school. And I'm not selling my med school. I think, like, I think the product is interesting. Okay, it's not formal education. You go in there to build your portfolio. I'm not saying you need to go to my med school to do advertising. For instance, like my team partner, Gonzalo, which you know uh, as well, he did like, um, he studied advertising at ESTS, which is like public, it's a public university, but it, it's in Lisbon. Again, like I, I was from Coimbra, not from Lisbon. But okay, from someone from a small town, I said like, I need to change my life. I need to do this degree. I need to do it right. And I discovered my med school. It's a two-year program. And I said, this is perfect. I'll, uh, it's my it's my opportunity to have an, inter an international experience because I had never done Erasmus. So I applied and I got accepted. Uh, and yeah, and I think that what my med school does is that, okay, they, of course, the first year you have classes. So you have copywriting classes, you have art direction classes, you have concepting classes, you have like these basics about marketing because I do nothing. Um, and then on the second year, and that's where it gets interesting for me, is that they kind of secure three internships around the world for you. So you basically are interning at really cool agencies around the world and kind of figuring out uh, where you want to live and work and all of that. And I think that's what makes it worth it, you know, because that's pretty priceless. Like, come on, like, how can you as someone living in, even in Lisbon, uh, get an internship in Shanghai or in New York or whatever, you know, you just can't. It's not, it's not 
possible. You know, it's not how it works, unfortunately. So that's what my med school does for you. It, it gives you that chance. And that's what I think really made a difference in my career. Okay. And where, so the, the, the first you said you had classes, that's the, yeah, it, it's to give you the, the basis, right. For, uh, yeah. for, for the advertising uh, role, let's say. And then the second year is with, uh, with uh, internships. And where did you internship? Like after that, uh, Miami at school, uh, it's, uh, you studied in Berlin, right? Or am in I? Berlin, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and where did you internship in your second year? Okay, so um, my second year, I tried to uh, intern in New York because, of course, like you read all these books about advertising and you watch Mad Men and you think, oh my God, <laughs> New York is the mecca of advertising, so this is where I need to go. But I wasn't accepted because my portfolio was not that strong. And to be fair, it wasn't. So what I ended up doing was they give you the chance to do three more months at a different school. And I said, cool, I'll go to New York and I'll try to intern there. So I went to New York and I did three more months, four more months of school in New York. And then uh, actually I thought, this is stupid. I, I should explore other options. I should not stay in New York, then, but broaden up, broaden it up a bit more. And I did something completely different. I went to Dubai. <laughs> and, yeah, the opposite. Dubai, <laughs> the opposite, you know, like, because it was like this, this not emerging market, but they, like, I mean, uh, it was the capital of advertising in the Middle East. They were winning a lot of awards back then, and like they were selling themselves like really, like really well. And I said, "Why not?" You know, and uh, and I'm not gonna lie, it was like also a financial decision because they go, they were offering housing, so you you would stay at the agency had an apartment, and you would stay there, and they would pay you for the internship. So all things combined was like, well, I don't have any options. Let's let's try this one, and it worked. So I went to Dubai which was a positive experience, but I have to say that I was not that thrilled. And it even made me consider maybe giving up, you know, because I don't know, it was a lot of stuff combined at the same time. And I was like, I'm not sure I want to do this. But then I had the, I was so lucky. I got accepted at Ogilvy in Sao Paulo. Okay. And this was like right after they won, I don't know, 54 Lions in Cannes. They were basically like one of the best agencies in the world, if not the best one, because I think they, they won agency of the year. And so I, I, I had a chance to learn from all these creatives who basically won shitloads of lines. And it, cha it changed my life. Like it really did. Because first you go to Brazil, which for us is, of course, a very familiar country. Then you're learning from people who are massively talented, but, don't, but, at, the, but like at the same time, they're, they're quite humble, you know, and they, they want you to learn. So I totally rebuilt my student portfolio there uh, at Ogilvy. They offered me a job after I graduated, after I finished the internship. But, I, you know, again, uh, parents, I, I, I remember this conversation with my mother, you know, they, they want to give me a job here, but she was like, yeah, but you didn't graduate. Why, why don't you graduate? And then maybe you can go back, you know? I never went back, but yeah, they offered me a job there. And so I graduated from IMA School Berlin, and then I came back to Portugal. Okay, that was it. Um, that just, Where I started working at FCB. Yeah, just just coming a bit back to uh, how you moved from Dubai to São Paulo. So um, 
you did you apply or was it uh, did you do any research because i think that one of the main topics with this um, when people are looking for a job or for um, changing careers etc is like how much time you dedicate to it and how do you get to the opportunities because um yeah because these changes are not always like easy or or anything um and it requires a lot of hunting people chasing on linkedin uh, a lot of coffee chats a lot of uh, yeah chasing yeah. in general uh, so i'm just interested in understanding how this opportunity in sao paulo like uh, <laughs> fell on your lap I'm, I'm going to be very honest. I, I, I wish I had like a very interesting story about hardships, but it wasn't. I, it was, I just applied and got accepted. It was part of the Miami School program. Yeah, that's... Uh... So it was it was my third, you know, internship there. And so the first one in New York, which was not really an internship, but we were going to agencies. So it was still like, would give you some professional experience. Then the second one in Dubai, then the third one in... Uh, yeah, then the third one in Sao Paulo. Okay. So uh, it was like... A, applied i i of course in dubai i ended up doing some interesting stuff i mean for an intern of course and, and then i got accepted in sao paulo and it was great and then i can then i can tell you it was like one of the best professional experiences of my life you know like it's it's again like i i did some i i mean who didn't know uh, ogilvy sao paulo at the time they like they were coming up with i don't know so many like bald cartoons for instance if one so many lines in Cannes, it's an amazing idea. I mean, they have like uh, tons of cool ideas, you know, and and it, it, would, it would be a dream to go there. And I don't know how I got accepted, to be honest, but I did. And so I went. Yeah, in general, the the advertising ecosystem and uh, panorama in Brazil, it's, it's very, it's very, very interesting. Uh, they have like, uh, even in Cannes, uh, they get so many, uh, so many recognitions and prizes and such cool ideas that that come from Brazil. It's it's really crazy. So I bet I bet it was yeah. it was a uh, good. Let me let me just say something. I think that one thing I realized in Brazil, uh, I'm not sure this is healthy, but I honestly I I kind of agree with them. There's no other way to do it. You need to be emotionally invested in your work. Yeah. And one thing I've learned about Brazilians is that they are emotionally invested in the work they do in advertising. It's more than just a job. It's really, it's passion, it's emotion, and especially like our directors, they go crazy on craft. And they, they, are, they are artists, basically. It's like they really cross the borders. It's not, it's not business anymore. It's, it's, it's art. If you look at the work they do for instance, for Havaianas, the brand, mm -hmm. the flip-flop brand, like I remember looking at this book that we had at FCB in Lisbon. It was like all the rejected campaigns from Havaianas. <laughs> and the artwork was like, stunning like it's, it's it's one of those books that you cannot put down and these were the rejected ideas like for instance in brazil i've learned that you don't get an headline approved until you wrote at least 100 you know oh, because that's where the good ones start and they're right so it's there's no way of being good at your job if you're not at least a bit emotionally invested in it and proud of what you do you know in a way so this this i would say was the most interesting stuff i learned in brazil that's interesting. I never thought about that, but yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. It it makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so after you were telling me, so after São Paulo, uh, you moved back to Lisbon, right? And I think that's that that's when I met you, right? I met you when um, in two thousand and fifteen yep. when you were working for. That's SCB. true. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's true. So after São Paulo, I went to Berlin actually to graduate from my med school. So you have an additional portal where you build your portfolio website. 
Uh, then you have uh, all these screenings. And at the time, maybe I was stupid, maybe I wasn't, I don't know. But I was like homesick and I said, you know what? I want to give it a try in Portugal. I want to try advertising in Portugal. Well, how, how bad can it be? And it wasn't bad, to be honest. It is what it is. It's a small market. Budgets are limited, but I still learned a lot from very, very talented people that could work in any agency in the world. And some of them actually moved. Um, so yeah, I went to FCB in Lisbon, where I stayed for one year and a half. And we met in Cannes because I won this very fancy title of Rising Star of the Year. <laughs> uh, with a campaign we made like for, um, for a briefing they had for McDonald's. And that's how I got to go to Cannes. That was the reward, you know, like you go for to Cannes for a week. And I, I'm really thankful. It was it was an amazing experience, of course. Okay. And um, how how do you feel? So, for example, versus the the, the clients that you, that you work with in São Paulo, or the the let's say the challenges that you had there. What is the difference that you felt when you came back to Portugal, apart from it being a smaller market? Mm, that's a tough one. Okay, there's a really obvious one, of course. Like, um, first of all, in Brazil, like the budgets are insane. Yeah. Like they're they're simply insane. If they like an idea, if they think like even if it's for a real client, if they think that the, this idea will win, can or whatever, they will put as much money as you need on the table so it gets done and it gets beautifully done. Um, so for like. Just think about it. That's uh, Brazil, so obviously São Paulo. That's where beauty sketches comes from. From yeah. a Portuguese creative, Hugo Vaiga, but not only Hugo Vaiga. Um, but yeah, so this is where it comes from. And if they really believe in an idea, and that idea started, it was a briefing for banner ads. Yeah, I read that, about it. They saw an opportunity to turn into this, you know, <laughs> phenomenon that changed advertising probably. Um, and change but, their lives uh, as well. Uh, <laughs> and their lives as well, of course. But but you see, like, and if you still follow like Google's work and what what he's doing at the KQA, like, I don't know, like, again, first of all, I, I I don't mean it in a bad way, but again, this being emotionally invested in ideas really pays off for Brazilians, and I think they are a bit more than in Portugal because I feel that a lot of work in Portugal is like. <sighs> It's everyday stuff, you know, and you just want to get it off the table and get it approved by the client. It doesn't matter if it's great or not, you know, and yeah, and I, it's like when you start doing this over and over again, you become frustrated because I saw this passion somewhere else, you know, and I'm not saying that uh, creators in Portugal are, are not passionate. I, I think that clients in Portugal are very difficult to work with. They don't like all clients are in a way. Uh, I'm not saying that in Germany it's all, you know, like uh, walking roses. apart because it's not, it's not, <laughs> roses, exactly. it's not at all, but I don't know, like in Portugal, it's like, okay, we want to do something great, but first we don't have the money and then we are not willing to approve something creative. So like you have your hands tied, what can you do? You know, it's like, uh, well, like we say in Portugal, you cannot cook a home, an omelette without eggs, you know, so it's <laughs> like, you just, you just like start becoming frustrated. And I think a lot of, of people in Portugal are becoming frustrated and, and it's quite obvious, you know, of course, like every now and then you get a cool briefing and you get the client to agree and you see amazing stuff uh, coming from Portugal. I don't know, like for, for Lidl, if you see the ads from Escritorio, yeah, I mean, you have like, of course, cool agencies and cool work coming from Portugal, but yeah, I don't know. I felt like, so after FCB, I moved to Rio Brunet where I worked again with, very, very talented people and very, like, the kindest people you can imagine. 
Maybe you know some of them probably. Um, and yeah, I was doing digital. And digital in Portugal is code for Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> so I was like, after you, I don't know, I was doing 120 Facebook posts or Instagram posts per month. And it's like, this is not what I want to do, you know? This is not what I, I mean, it was becoming mechanical, it was becoming frustrating. And yeah, so I needed to. And I think that when when you, when you when it's like mechanic and when it becomes mechanic, also your creativity starts or creativity levels start drop uh, stop or start dropping because you need to do it and it's your day by day and you there's only you big ideas and good ideas they need time to mature and you need time to digest and think about how how is this going to be perceived by whoever is reading it and um, absolutely right and 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 if you're doing it on a mechanic basis i'm, I'm not saying that people that do that I, I really admire people that are able to come up with it because literally i'm the worst one with um like I'm, I'm not a, it's not that I don't know how to like publish on Instagram or on Facebook or et cetera. It's just that I don't have any joy out of it. Uh, if I, if I post a picture, of course I want it to look nice and et cetera, but it's, it's not that I, I want to do it when I feel like it. And when I have a good idea of something that I want to post or something that I want to say, it's not like I, I could never be an influencer, for example, because it would, it's such a hustle to, it's insane, it's insane <laughs> to think about that you always have to be producing uh, content, etc. Uh, yeah. It's it it I, I consider myself a creative person, and it takes my it takes my the joy out of the creative process. I would say, um, and and just just coming Completely. back to, to to your point around. Um, clients in Portugal. So I was a bit of a client myself, right? And I think that it is the 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 way the advert the way I see the advertising, let's say, ecosystem in Portugal is that the budgets are really limited. And um, so you have to choose, you have to guarantee that the mechanic basis parts uh, part is is covered. And then you you don't have that much money to the creative disruptive things, so yeah. it, it's really a, a, a question of 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 uh, choice, right? And, but this is exactly why you decided to go for a bigger market, right? So you changed yeah. to Berlin in uh, to 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 Germany, Berlin in 2019, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I don't want like I think this is not even the, the point about your your podcast to turn this into like a conversation about advertising, but <laughs> yeah. um, but I need to say this that I started realizing in Portugal that you were dealing so the client were actually like a lot of interns. Most of the time you will get your work and I'm doing air quotes again approved by interns and I think that interns it's not their fault they're just like they, first they are underpaid they are working a lot more than they should. And that's the reality in Portugal for people who want to pursue marketing. I'm sorry, but you need to know this. So, and then like what they were doing was they were approving work that they thought their bosses would like. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have a voice. They were just doing like, okay, I'm going to approve this because this is what I think my boss wants. Yeah. And most of the times it worked, unfortunately. So I'm not blaming them. I think the, the, the whole system is quite wrong in how it works because ad advertising agencies interns don't have this kind of you know like relevance like if you're an intern you write deadlines for a campaign you come up with i don't know bold ideas all this stuff but you have a creative director you have someone who actually like goes through your work make sure it's like almost bulletproof or it has some kind of quality before you send it to the client 
And we were realizing like, yeah, the, the client killed it. Why? Well, because she thinks that the CMO or whatever won't like it. And we were like, what? <laughs> so yeah. This guy didn't even get to see it, you know? So this, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's for saying, but again, um, it's not a blame game. It's really how the system is running and, it's sad. It's just sad. Multiple it's very, it's very hierarchical as well. So sometimes, and this is something that I never understood. And once again, this is, uh, it's not necessarily a, a podcast about advertising, but I love advertising. It's something that I'm, I'm very passionate about. So this is a very interesting topic for me. But I think that Portugal is a very hierarchical country. So you have um, the CEO of companies or uh, yep. like people that should give the direction to the business giving indications about an advertising piece and it's not like they yeah. it's not like they shouldn't give their feedback it's it, they should give the, their feedback but they they shouldn't have the last word because they are not that's not what they are paid for right they are paid for running the business or on more high level and it it was always surprising yeah. for me to see like general managers or uh, directors presidents as we call it taking these decisions on advertising level because why would you hire then um, a CMO or a marketing director, et cetera? Exactly. Exactly. It makes no sense. Yeah, these people are, are they are equipped with, um, with understanding of what works and what doesn't. Um, and I think that it, yep. that's, that's pretty obvious when you see the good work coming from Portugal, who are the companies that, that have like the right, the, the, the right people taking the, the decisions on a, on a, like on advertising and et cetera. It's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Also these people, most of them, again, this is turning into a huge conversation about <laughs> advertising. And so cut this. It's relevant, but um, also I think they are, of course, these people are mostly performance oriented. You know, you have, you have results, you have to present results to the shareholders and all of that. So, uh, when you're performance-oriented, some of them don't realize the importance of building a brand before making it all about conversion and sales, you know? And in Portugal, that that's, like, super obvious. It's like, this has to sell, this has to sell. And they never realize, yeah, this has to sell, but, like, it doesn't work that way, you know? Maybe it works for one or two campaigns, but then it will stop working at some point. You have, like, make your brand relevant, all of that, the stuff that we keep telling them over and over again. And even now, like especially when you're targeting younger generations, this become this becomes even more relevant. But it, like for the I don't know, it always looked like it's all about performance. And just to like to to finalize the conversation we were having about the digital, um, like I think what the the strategy clients uh, had was like um, winning people uh, by quantity, you know. So. We have to publish 30 posts or 20 posts per month, and that's it. It doesn't matter if we have anything to say. We are paying for 20 posts. They need to come out. Just do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And But then you ask them, okay, but we had this cool idea. Can we do a photo shoot or something? No. Use Shutterstock or Gavi or whatever. So it was just really like this lifestyle, boring, you know, that nobody cares that you see on your feed and you're like, okay, next. And yeah, they, it's sad. But well. Maybe things are changing for the better. I'm not. I don't know if they are or not. I I, I left now for two years. I see some some stuff again. I, I see some cool stuff coming from Portugal, and that makes me really really happy. You know, because I really see that the people there or some people there are really still trying to change the market and do cool stuff. And in some cases, they do, and that makes me proud. That and it's 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 so important that there are still people that really believe it's possible. 
Uh, so it's it's very clear the reason why you left. Uh, so you decided, uh, so you and Gonzalo, because um, just just for the information of, of uh, anyone that is um, sure. basically uh, listening to this podcast, in 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 an advertising uh, setup, you would always have a, a copywriter and a, a art director that would work like together as a kind of a team or a team in practical terms, um, yep. in, solving, solving briefings. Um, so you and Gonzalo, uh, were you targeting, uh, specifically the German market or how this, this, uh, how did, uh, this opportunity, uh, came up in, in ocean Berlin? I'm going to be honest. We were because, uh, so I, I, I had lived in Berlin and I, I knew, you know, I have connections in Berlin and all of that. Of course, we were. I mean, I'm not going to lie. If you get an amazing offer for mother from Mother London or whatever, of course you go. Like, how can you can you say no? No, but they did not show up. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, maybe in a couple of years. But um, no, we knew some people in Berlin, and we especially like we knew Jose Gomes and Pedro Lorenzo, which are two create who are two creatives from two Portuguese creatives that moved uh, to Berlin a while ago, and we knew their work. And they were doing amazing stuff at EDB for Volkswagen. And this new agency, so in Ocean, opened in Berlin. It's, it's, a, it's a network. It existed for a while, but they were really trying to do something special in Berlin. So do like this kind of creative shop in Berlin. So we knew that they were going there. They were already there, actually. To San Pedro, we knew that they were hiring. And then we knew that uh, the agency was led by basically two advertising legends, which are my boss, we, it's Ricardo Wolf and Gabriel Matar. And again, I, I was really happy that the agency was, at least the creative was Brazilian-led, because I knew that it would be, the focus would be on creativity, and I was really happy to find out it is. And the stuff you were saying about this vertical hierarchy we have in Portugal, it's absolutely right, and it's something that I don't see at Notion, at least on the creative side, you know? Like, I, just to give you an example, Ricardo starts all our meetings playing Mamona's Assassin. <laughs> bully us <laughs> no, I'm joking I mean it, he does he does that but he does it like you can see like it, the, again people are emotionally invested in what they do colleagues are not only colleagues and so people might think oh this is awful like I want to keep things separate like between uh, my professional environment and my personal environment and of course you can still keep it separated but what I'm saying is that in Ocean like the focus is on creativity it's like you feel passion in everyone to actually deliver creativity, and you never give up. Even if the client is being in a pain, a pain in the ass, and it's a client, of course it will be, like you will always try, okay, you kill this campaign, you will present a better one. It's not, you kill this campaign, so we will deliver like a mediocre one or uh, exactly what you think it worked. We will just come up with a better film or a better headline or a better script, and we will try to sell it to you, and in 90% of the cases, it works. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I ended up, no, it was really like a choice, so at the time, basically we got two offers, one from DDB and one from Inotion. And like we hesitated, but then we said, no, you know what? Like we are starting something new. Inotion is starting something new. Like let's just go there. We won't regret it. And it was not easy. It was not really easy in the beginning, uh, but I'm glad we overcame. And, and yeah, in the end, if you really commit to it, I think everyone has a chance, you know? 
and uh, this is just a, a curiosity, but do you feel there's any um, language barrier? So you're you're in Germany, right? Uh, the, I'm not sure mm -hmm. how fluent you are in German. Uh, <laughs> when I was with you in, in Berlin, uh, we were talking with some, uh, uh, like, I remember we went out and we tried to get into a disco and you were talking with the guy in the address in German, but he could clearly understand <laughs> that you were not German. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I remember this uh, so many times. It's so funny. Um, but um, so it was it was quite funny. I'm not sure how fluent you are, but is it a barrier? So would you say that um, someone that doesn't speak German can work in Germany or how do you see it? Because I think that people sometimes have this idea that, oh, if I don't speak a language, um, I cannot, uh, I shouldn't be applying. And, and this applies for uh, for countries such as, for example, Germany or the Nordics, mm -hmm. or how, how do you see that? Okay, I think if you want to make a move like this, you really need to do some research before doing it. So let me give you this example. If you work uh, at a German agency, and if you see that all of their clients are German clients and all the campaigns are run in Germany, like you can expect that meetings will be conducted in German and that people will be briefed in German. So yeah. it, it, it shouldn't be a surprise for you. But of course we knew because we asked that question. And in Ocean is an international agency. We like uh, we do work for European markets and some global campaigns, but uh, everything like it's it's an english based like everything we 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 joke about it that our official language is broken english because <laughs> you have people so like from every corner of the globe you know and then like really you have like we have I, I, the last time we counted there were people from 40 different nationalities That's working so cool. there it's just so in it's berlin just in berlin in berlin berlin because uh, i feel that for instance in ocean frankfurt since they do a lot of uh, local campaigns and national campaigns i feel that it's a, a lot more German-oriented, and it's better that you speak German. But in Ocean Berlin, it's an international agency, and everything, like every meeting, every email uh, is conducted in, in English, unless, of course, you're talking to your boss, which happens to speak Portuguese, so we end up speaking Portuguese a lot of the time. And we and you have so many Brazilians and Portuguese people at the Ocean that uh, back then, when we were at the office before this whole COVID thing started, like 50% of your day, like you would realize like you, you would speak Portuguese for 50 percent of the time. That's which crazy. is funny, you know. You're you're living in Berlin and like you come home and you basically spend the whole day uh, speaking in Portuguese to your colleagues and friends, you know. And and that's quite cool, of course. But this should not be the rule, and of course they're trying to change it and understand why. Uh, so they kind of broke our Portuguese, you know, quarter. <laughs> so now we are a lot more mixed and we have to speak in English. And of course, that's what makes sense. Yeah, I feel a bit, uh, it's exactly the same uh, in Amazon. So we have a lot of Portuguese people. Um, and and yeah, we would always speak in Portuguese, but but yeah, we, we we try as much as possible to speak in English. But I think there's always an additional connection, things that you can say in Portuguese. Yeah, uh, what we say like the the those those sentences that only exist in Portuguese that that only exactly, makes yeah. sense in Portuguese that I love saying so I totally get it and um okay so you you are with two years with the in ocean and how do you feel this all COVID situation impacted uh, like your work and advertising do you feel like 
clients pulled back their money from um, from advertising or or that they needed even to reinforce this, uh, reinforce their message or branding message more because people were uh, I don't know more time on uh, on digital or they had more I, I think that in general more the pe- people have more time to stop and to enjoy things so um i'm not sure if even advertising uh, was impacted by that positively or negatively what what do you think uh, i mean this this looks like i'm selling in ocean but i'm gonna be honest (laughs) we i think they tripled the projects from last year okay and like on monday we will have a meeting to introduce i think nine new people that they hire for the creative department so I mean, what can I say? I think, like, I think our clients, they, of course, we all had to adapt, and it was uh, so. For instance, like, we were shooting a campaign for Hyundai that we had in the end to use stock footage because it was right after this lockdown started, and of course, you wouldn't get the permit to shoot anywhere in the world. And but besides that, we just like we have to keep the real cool stuff. We we still need. Because like, so uh, our main clients are Kia and Hyundai. Mm -hmm. And car launches won't stop. You still need to launch cars. You still need to sell cars. So you still need campaigns. So like, okay, it was tough. It was tough in the beginning. But for instance, like when we had our annual meeting, um, my, my, uh, so the the CCO of our agency, uh, Gabriel, he actually told us that uh, productivity, productivity increased with home office. Yeah, and I, but I'm I, not going to say that this is a perfect system. I don't think it is, and we are coming to realize that because again, Inotion is a very, how can I say, warm environment, and it's built on the relationship people have with each other and all these jokes that come from all the differences we have between cultures. And of course, it got a bit lost. We don't want this, and I don't know when when you work in this kind of environment, you need to be at the office sometimes, at least you know, to connect with people. And yeah, uh, uh, sorry, sorry. Your question was exactly: Do you think if uh, if, if uh, advertising was impacted? Yes. Uh, with the pandemic, and um, I'm gonna be honest. Like the, um, in the beginning, yes, that's what I was telling you. Like you have these shooting plans, then oh fuck, now we need to do it with stock footage, and that's not great. Nobody wants to do it, but we did it. Um, but now we we had a remote shoot, so people just adapt, you know. And, Again, this is a cliche, but it's really true. It's how you survive in this business. You adapt. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot uh, in between the lines that you need to that require people to be together when you're cre- when you're uh, working in creativity, because sometimes it's really. I don't know. It's it's really just sitting with your uh, partner uh, talking about something, and then you have like a great idea that needs execution right away. And I'm not sure, or that reads at least that you write it or discuss it right away. And um, yeah, I, I, I bet that it was not the same thing uh, with the all working from home thing, especially because you, as I said, you always need to work um, with with someone else. It's not like you're not a an individual contributor as we would yeah. call it so you really need no, no, to, no. to to be together and to read in between the lines and etc so um yeah but but it's 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 good to understand that at least um in your case or in the case of your agency you were you guys weren't really impacted because i have the feeling that uh, advertising somehow 
at least at least in Portugal, once again, which is a market that I know better um, in terms of advertising, uh, that it's always the first thing that clients would cut on uh, when when there's like something like this happening or um, when when there's a crisis or or something like that. They always decrease it there to to uh, yeah to to do it or to use it somewhere else. Um, perfect. So yeah, sometimes it's not an option. Yeah. Literally, sometimes it's really not an option. Yeah. It's either that or uh, people. So yeah, exactly. you really need to choose. Um, perfect. So um, do you think that, or would you have preferred to do something else different in your career path? So if you knew what you know today, would you have uh, dropped law school before uh, before finishing it? Would you have uh, gone for advertising right away? Or do you think that it's okay the way it is and uh, you wouldn't change it? That's a tough question. <laughs> um, I'm going to try to give you an honest answer. I would probably have graduated um, earlier. I would have made an effort you know, to graduate uh, sooner uh, and not take like this much time, but I don't think it would be a wise decision to go and study advertising like at 18 after high school, honestly, because I think that uh, university gave me so much like a uh, better understanding how people function and all these activities that I had, you know, like, um, like it gives you so many insights, uh, like it's, it, it broadens up your horizons and all of that because it really does, you know, and when you're 18, you know, you you're you just graduated from high school, like you still have your like friends from your hometown, these are your only friends. And then you go to university and you meet all these new people from everywhere, even for international students, of course. And like you still you start seeing things differently. And also, like I'm not downplaying the importance of uh, getting higher education. I think it's really important. Uh, even if it's not the thing that you end up doing, I think it's still important. To be honest, I'm not going to be my, like my parents, you know, and, and tell you that you need to study this or that, or it needs to be a traditional degree. But I still think that going to university, like, really impacts you in a positive way. And if, like, if, and again, this all comes down to if you can do it or not. And if you can do it, I think you should. So I still believe that university brings you a lot, and I don't regret, like, at all um, doing it. Okay. And uh, to finalize, <laughs> um, what would you say to uh, 15 uh, years old Antonio if you could speak with him right now? <laughs> okay, but personally or professionally or both? It can be a mix of both, as you wish, my friend. <laughs> I will just tell him it's going to be okay. Really. I would look him in the eyes and I would say it's going to be okay. Because when you're 15, oh my God, like your head is exploding with new information and all these hormones kicking in. <laughs> and really, like, you, you have so many doubts about so much stuff. And even in your 20s, but I think in your teens, it's worse. And, like, I wish that was a possibility because I would probably have been a much more relaxed kid. Uh, it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be okay. The, the best answer, but it's going to be okay. I think that's what I have told myself. Tomorrow is always another day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds cliche, but uh, I mean, if you if you hear it for 
like imagine I'm 15 and if I see myself from the future, first I would think I was hallucinating, but that's okay. But the second is like, you can't believe this person because he's coming from the future, so he's telling the truth. And if he's, if he's telling me that it's going to be okay, then it will. <laughs> it will be okay. Thank you so much, Antonio. It's always a pleasure. I miss you very much. I miss seeing you, see you, see you in person, and I hope that we can I see know, each other soon, soon, when, whenever I can travel to Berlin or whenever you want to come to London, because I know you love London. Yes. You told me that multiple times oh the last God, time you were it. here, so I'm very looking forward to it. Okay. Yeah, it's my turn now because as I remember it, you came here the last time. So now it's my turn to come to London and I, and I promise I will. Yeah. And thank you so much for inviting me, for having me on your podcast. I really hope this was not boring. <laughs> no, not <laughs> and, at all. Not at all. <laughs> like, you always wonder if you have something interesting enough to say. Uh, so, well, yeah, I hope people like this episode and Rita wish you the best of luck with your podcast and with everything. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.